0: Thank you, Dave. We are uh, looking at Acts chapter 5. We've been going through the book of Acts. Great thing to do in the time of transition in a church is to look at the beginnings of the church, look at the birth of the church and the early growth of the church when it's growing so fast, like a, like, like a, a little child under the age of five, how it grows so much faster. Somebody said that if, if we continue to grow at that rate of speed, into our, what, 40, 50s and 60s? How tall would we be? Like, <laughs> pretty tall. Okay. <laughs> so the church is in its infant, fast-growing, uh, you know, uh, preschool age. Great things are happening. And, and sometimes it, it's easy to look at the book of Acts and feel like that is so different from what we experience. That was then. This is Now. And what I'd like to do is to try to, to, to bring together the first century church and the 21st century church so that well, we can relate to what's going on and, and, and see what the Spirit of God is doing today uh, through you. And, uh, and so that's what we want to do. Um, you know, folks sometimes can get discouraged, and they can get exhausted, and they can get bored, and sometimes they're both bored and exhausted, which is a terrible combination. Uh, people have all kinds of experiences in churches. I, I, had a, I was in a, a discussion yesterday afternoon where people talked about how churches can be the places of pain and suffering. And, uh, and how, how uh, abuses and, and, and horrible things and sin can happen in the church, and sometimes it feels like it's worse because it's coming through the people of God, and, and, it, and it hurts uh, worse. And, and so there are a lot of discouraging things happening. But we're going to keep dipping back into the Scriptures and asking the Lord to show us, what do you want us to do as a church? How can, how can we continue to, to the, the trajectory that the apostles started in the first century? That's what we want to do. Let's uh, introduce the book of Acts again. Um, it's written by Dr. Luke, who wrote the book of Luke, and Acts is 2nd Luke. Uh, the original book, he wrote to his friend Theophilus and said, this is I'm going to write about the things that Jesus began to do and teach. And in the second book, the things that the Lord Jesus has done through his spirit, through the apostles, through his church. And so uh, that's what Luke hung out with Paul, and he hung out with the disciples. He took a lot of notes. That's how he's able to write the book of Luke. And then the, the whole idea of the book of Acts is how Jesus came to his disciples and said, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you will be my witnesses. You will testify of me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, the cross-cultural world and into the uttermost parts of the earth and so the book of Acts is the unfolding of the of, of the of the church being witnesses of Jesus witnesses of his of his life and witnesses of his death and his resurrection and his exaltation and that's what that was the sum of their of their of their teaching very much so they, they would say uh, Jesus Christ whom you Crucified, but God raised from the dead, and God has exalted him to the highest place, and we are witnesses of these things. Now repent. And that's what they would say. They would say this everywhere. And so our story actually begins in Acts chapter 3 when Peter and John, two of the apostles, uh, were coming up to uh, the temple for prayer. and, and as they passed this, uh, they passed a beggar in the afternoon. Now, you and I see beggars all the time. We live in Philly. And so you always have this choice. You know, do I give the beggar something? Do I not give him something? Do I make eye contact? Do I not make eye contact? Uh, do I make a snap decision here to give the guy something or what? And so, so the beggar is there on the, on the way to the temple, and, and Peter and John say, um, they stop. And they look at the guy, and they say, look at us. And then they say, we don't have any money. And the guy says, you could have just kept going. You didn't have to stop and tell us and make eye contact with us to tell us that you don't have any money. Fine. Go on, because I've got some, you know, I've I've got other people to see who may have money. Well, we don't have any money, but Jesus wants you to have your legs back. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And he went walking and leaping and praising God. Now, If they hadn't stopped, none of this other stuff would have happened. But they did stop, and they talked to the beggar. They healed the beggar, and then the beggar is walking, leaping, and praising God, and then Peter begins to preach. And he preaches that same sermon. Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, the Lord God has raised from the dead and has exalted to the highest place, and we are witnesses of these things. And there's this group called the Sanhedrin. We'll talk about them a little bit more. But they haul uh, Peter and John in and say... Don't talk about Jesus anymore. And Peter and John say, well, you, you be the judge. Should we obey God or just you? And, and so, uh, so that, then, they, then they, they let them go, and then they have a prayer meeting. And when they prayed, they, you notice what they didn't pray for? They didn't pray that God would change the government. They didn't pray for religious freedom. They didn't pray that if if only we could get our guy up there, it'll make make it easier for us to do what we're doing. We'll have religious freedom. They never prayed about any of those things. They prayed for boldness, and they prayed for more miracles. The two very things that got them into trouble in the first place. And God liked that prayer. You know how we know? Because he shook the house after their prayer. So then... They continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And that's where our story opens today. Look at verse 12 of chapter 5 of the book of Acts. Acts 5, chapter, uh, Acts chapter 5, verse 12. Let's start with the 12th verse. We'll read down to 16. We're going to go down to the end of the chapter eventually, but we'll start here. Now, many signs and wonders you know, in answer to the apostles' prayers, were done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than, more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, So that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. And the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Yeah. So, the story opens with a healing service. The church got some real street cred. Because you've got the people that are are respecting them from a distance, but they're afraid to join. You know why? Well, if you were here and you heard Dexter's sermon last Sunday, you'd know why they were afraid to join. Because when people lied to the church, they dropped dead. And so people weren't saying, hey, how can I join up with you all? You look like you've got a good thing going. I want to join. People were not doing that. But it did say that believers were being added added. So there's something different, I think, here in this passage between joining up and being added. Being added is in what we call the passive voice for you grammarians. Being added, they were added by someone else, not just themselves. The Holy Spirit added people to Jesus And by adding them to Jesus, they were joined, united to Jesus Christ. And in being united to Jesus Christ, they were united to his people. So, you think you joined? You got added by the Holy Spirit to this austere assembly, (laughs) to these brothers and sisters, these people who love the Lord. You were added to us. All the sick that got brought to the apostles, got healed. They even tried using Peter's shadow. How about that? Figure, okay, Peter has to take a break sometime, you know, so so maybe there's a little men's room over here and the place between the men's room and the podium and Solomon's portico. There was this little path, you know, that, okay, here goes Peter. Okay, Peter's taking a break. Here, quick, put him there and maybe a shadow. Okay, the sun's in the right place. A shadow will fall on on my sick niece. and, And, you know, so people were trying anything they could to get the Get their sick people in the range of the apostles' healing power. And you know, I, know I, was, I looked at that, and the first, thing I, the first thing I thought was, in my naturalistic, rationalistic, Western mind, I thought, well, it doesn't say that people got healed when the shadow passed Well, you know what? The last verse says, everybody got healed. <laughs> everybody. This is amazing stuff. So these meetings are taking place in the portico of Solomon. I looked at that. There's this. uh, You can get images. You can Google images of the portico of Solomon. It's a big gathering place in the temple, a big column porch with a roof and a back. And so if you had a loud voice, you could teach groups of people, large groups of people. And it was a place where you could talk about the scriptures publicly. And the point is that people are seeing God glorified, as the church is out there showing mercy to the people and preaching the gospel, and he's adding men and women daily to the church through faith in Jesus Christ. All of this is happening. But here comes some opposition. Verse 17 and 18. Look look at these two verses. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with them, that is, the party of the Sadducees. And they were filled with jealousy, and they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. The Sanhedrin is the uh, Greek word for the word, when you see the word council, perhaps in your translation, it's the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin means, well, actually it means session oh no, I'm part of a session. Uh, you know, I don't want to be like the Sanhedrin. But they make decisions by seating, by being seated together. There's 71 people in this group. It all started back in, Ro- in uh, Numbers chapter 11 when God said to Moses, Moses, don't try to do this all yourself. Make sure that there are 70 elders among Israel that you bring together and you be the 71st person so you have an odd number. You can break the tie if you need to. And, and you will all make these big decisions together. And so that started as a perfectly good thing, started by God for a good purpose. But like many things, institutional dry rot begins to set in, and they all became dried up, stick in the muds. They were nasty. They were made up of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the Sadducees didn't even, they didn't believe in angels, they didn't believe in miracles, they didn't believe in the resurrection. So they were sad, you see. And, they, and, the, and the Pharisees uh, were people who did believe in those things, but they were legalistic, and they tried to control people. And so this, 71, this group of 71 uh, elders of Israel who came together were like the Supreme Court under the Roman authority. And so they were not shepherds of God's people. They were not full of love. They didn't love you like our pastors love you and like the elders love you. They don't don't love the people of God. They, They try to control the people of Israel. And so... It started as a good thing, and now they're filled with jealousy. They come into work every day. They pass these hundreds of people listening to the apostles, and they're getting healed, and all these people are clogging up the temple area and, and uh, who, you know, as, as the apostles are preaching the message, and they're told to quit preaching, and they still preach, and they're filling Jerusalem with the story of Jesus. The Sanhedrin, you know, I've entitled this message The Unstoppable Church of Jesus Christ because it is. We're still here. The Sanhedrin went belly up in 425 A.D. They were not unstoppable. But what happened to this group to make them the bad guys? If it started off as a good thing, why did they, why did they become the bad guys? Why did they get so nasty? It's because they lost their connection with God. They, they, they lost the connection with God, this unchangeable God who called for change and the new thing that he was doing, saving, sending Jesus Christ to save his people. They lost their connection with God. They also lost their connection to God's people. They they didn't love God's people. They wanted to control them. And this could happen to anybody. It could happen to churches. It could happen anywhere. Some churches today look more like the Sanhedrin than they do the followers of Jesus. Churches, and, and what I'm saying from this is this. Churches, ours included... Must come to Jesus regularly, constantly, again and again and again, to stay fresh, to beg Him for His mercy, for His grace, to stay Christ-centered, to stay um, uh, to be places of healing and places of truth, depending on Jesus like the branches to the vine. Jesus said, "I am the branch, I'm the vine, and you are the branches. And if you, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so if we continue to abide in Jesus and receive all our life from Jesus as the branches receive all their life from the vine, then we won't end up being tried up old stick in the muds with institutional dry rot who don't love people. But we've got to keep coming back to Jesus again and again. There's no formula that's going to set us on the right path for the rest of our lives. You know, it's like the comment, it's like the there are two ways to power a vehicle. One is gasoline, and the other is electricity. Now, with, with the gas-powered car, now, this actually, this is a little obsolete because now we have electrical-powered cars that run in a similar way. But with a gas-powered car, you fill up, and then you run out. You fill up, and then you run out. I'm always running out because I've got this little subtle indicator in the middle of my dashboard of my Toyota that, that, that blinks, and it doesn't make any noise, and I've run out of gas about five times in the last six months, uh, which is no fun at all. I keep a little gas can in the back. I walk, you know, and, 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 and fill it up. and It's, just, it's, just, it's a drag. But, but my car keeps running out of gas, and, and that's, that's weird for a guy who drives 100 miles a day for a living. But there's this other thing called a streetcar, and uh, Derek, you know what I'm talking about. And it always, it is always connected to the wire. It is always connected to the source of power. And if at any point it loses the connection to the source of power, it comes to a complete halt. And that's the way the church is. The church is not a gas-powered car. The church is a streetcar. The church has always got to be connected to the line, connected to the vine, so that all of the energy and the power and what makes the church, specifically the church, what makes the church a supernatural organism and not just a man-made institution, flows from Jesus Christ to us constantly as we constantly depend on him in prayer. That's why we make prayer a big deal in our worship services because we cannot do anything without being completely dependent on Jesus. So, the Sanhedrin had had it up to here, and they put the apostles in jail. Let's look at verses 19 through 26. But, during the night... Oh, wait a minute. It says that they put the the apostles in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord... Opened the prison doors and brought them out, and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him and called together the council and all the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought, but when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came in and told them, Look, The men you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. And then the captain with the officers went and brought them, not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Let's stop there for just a second. The Sanhedrin had had it up to here. They put the apostles in jail. Angel of the Lord, he breaks them out. Now, you got your Bibles open? Take a look at your Bible. Don't let me teach you wrong. The angel of the Lord breaks them out of prison. I wonder how he did this. You know, like like a Jedi mind trick. You will open the prison doors. I will open the prison doors. Uh, You will unlock them. I will unlock them. And so he, he goes down, you know, the angel of the Lord uh, enters into the prison, opens the doors, leads the all, it's probably 12, all 12 apostles. You know, Matthias, the guy that was there to replace Judas, but then Paul really, you know, it's like 13 now. But uh, so, so there, it could be all 12 apostles, and they're in jail, and the angel is leading them out. And then the angel says to them, now listen closely. You don't want this to happen again. So I've got this little place out in Syria. And if you go right now, and if you're careful, and you don't make any noise, you come with me to Syria, and we've got this little place out here, and just wait for things to cool off a little bit before you come back to the temple, for crying out loud. Is that what it is? Am I preaching it right? Ah, that's good. See, y'all are being Bereans. They're later on in the book of Acts. They check check Paul's words to see if he's really telling the truth. No. The angel of the Lord gets him out of there, and then he says, Go, stand, and speak. Go to the temple, right here where you were before, in public, vulnerable, and stand up where everybody can see you and speak the words of this life in Christ. Well, so um, at daybreak, as soon as dawn comes, there they are in the same old place in the portico of the temple again, preaching, and meanwhile, the Sanhedrin starts their Monday morning meeting. Or maybe it's Tuesday morning, I don't know. And the first thing on the docket is to examine those miscreants we put in prison. Go fetch them. Go get them. And the guy comes back and and the high priest says, well, um, it's like this. (laughs) Um, Well, we got there and the guards were still out front. The doors were securely locked. The little light on the security system was still red. So we, you know, we did the code and we went with the officers, with the guards, and we went back to the, to the prison, and, and, but there wasn't anybody there. And while the high priest is still scratching his head, somebody comes in late for the meeting. Apparently there are only 69 people there. So the 70th person comes in late for the meeting and he goes, Hey, did you all see what I saw? Those, those guys you put into prison last night, they're preaching again. They're doing it again. They're out there in the temple talking about that name that we will not speak. And the high priest says, okay, okay, fine. Go get them, but this time do it really nicely because we don't want to make a scene with the crowds. I think they like them too much. We don't want any trouble. And then that leads us to verse 27 through 32. When they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned him, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Do you notice what they're avoiding? They're avoiding saying the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, they don't want to say that name. Uh, it's a powerful name. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. And the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you kill by hanging him on a tree. And God exalted him in his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. All right, Peter, uh, you know, they're, 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 they're Peter stands up to the Sanhedrin and says, we're going to obey God and not you. That is what I would call the Acts 529 wall. Romans chapter 13, if you read that, you see that, that Paul tells you, don't be part of the problem. Obey the people who are in charge. When you're in the high school, you obey your principal. When you are at the movie theater, you obey the guy that tears your ticket in half. When you are on the streets, you obey the cops. Obey the authorities that God has placed in there so you will not live in a land of chaos, but that God has instituted and given these authorities a certain kind of authority so that you will live in a place of order. So obey them. And then you go here until you hit the Acts 5.29 wall. Now, you have to obey the the authorities when it comes to things of your own personal preference or your own personal safety even. But when it comes to a higher authority, when the authorities start to say that you must not do something that God has commanded you to do or you must do something that God has commanded you not to do, that's where you hit the 529 wall, and say, I obey God, not you. And we could preach a whole sermon on civil disobedience, but that's, that's it in a nutshell. So here's Peter, and he gives to the Sanhedrin the same sermon he's been preaching everywhere else. The God of our fathers, by the way, he, 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 he sees himself... As, look, you know, you all know the same God. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he's part of all of our, uh, all of our heritage. He is our God. Uh, this is not a new religion coming out of left field. God raised up Jesus, whom you killed, by hanging him on a tree. Now, why did he put it that way? Because Peter, I believe, is thinking of that passage in Deuteronomy where God declares that he who is hanged on a tree is cursed. And then Paul later on uh, fleshes that out that out even further in, in the book of Galatians where he says that he who hangs on a tree is cursed. Jesus Christ was cursed. He w- became a curse for those who should have been cursed. We sinned. Jesus didn't sin. We received the blessing. Jesus received the curse. Cursed is he who hangs upon a tree. And so Peter is talking about this, and he, and he says, God exalted him as right hand, as leader, that is, one who takes the lead and leads, leads by example, and Savior. Jesus doesn't just tell us to live better. He rescues me from myself. He rescued me from the curse of the law by becoming a curse in my place, by being hanged on a tree. In order that God will, re-grant, will grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins... Repentance is turning away from your old life of independence and sin and turning around and embracing the Lord in faith, trusting in Jesus. And God is going to give repentance to Israel. Do you see what Peter's doing? He's giving the Sanhedrin an opportunity to repent and believe. This is mercy. This is grace. We are witnesses of these things. More importantly, so is the Holy Spirit, whom God gives to those who obey him. And you see that he's saying, we have the Holy Spirit. We are obeying the Lord. We are part of the obedient body of Christ. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is God's mercy, an opportunity to repent and believe extended to their enemies who are trying to shut them down. This is your message to anyone who tries to shut you down. Your message to anyone who tries to shut you down is not um, to hate them, not to condemn them, but to offer the message of forgiveness and repentance and faith through Jesus Christ. And this is how God spreads a table before your enemies. Well, the apostles almost got annihilated. Look at verse 33. When they heard this, they, went, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him, and he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people. After him, he too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men, let them alone, for if this man If this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. We'll stop there for a second. The Sanhedrin wants them killed. Just just kill them now. You know, we're just so angry at these people. Do you realize the Sanhedrin would have killed all 12 apostles? That's half the foundation of the church. The, the church is built on the apostles and the prophets. And he's going to get rid of all 12 apostles like, just like that. God says, no, it's not time for that. God speaks through this level-headed man named Gamaliel who says, remember Thutis and Judas, uh, it's better just to not, not mess with them. Don't, don't, don't have anything to do with them. And they'll just probably fizzle out in and of themselves and don't kill them. So God uses him to keep that from happening, Uh, and then they get whipped. Their backs are, are, are striped with bloody marks. These unstoppable apostles, it says, they go on their way, verse 42, every day in the temple and from house to house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. They went away rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. These unstoppable apostles, they cannot be stopped. They cannot be kept from teaching. And that was then, this is now, let's talk about the 21st century. You are part of the same unstoppable movement that we just read about. You are part of the same thing. You're part of the body of Christ. You're part of the church of Jesus Christ, this this church that that is is spreading all over the world. Uh, It's a worldwide, unstoppable, life-changing movement. If, three things. If you and your church believe the message, the story of Jesus, if you and your church do what Jesus and the apostles did, and thirdly, if you embrace your calling, as part of the Unstoppable Church. Let's unpack that real quick. If you believe the message, the story of Jesus, repentance and faith, theology matters. It matters what happens up here in this pulpit. It matters what people say when they say, thus says the Lord. It matters how people interpret the Scriptures. It matters. So we believe, do you believe, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved only the name of Jesus that Jesus Christ saves a people for himself that God must punish sin but Jesus Christ was punished in the place of all who believe do you believe that and so you are part of the same unstoppable movement if that is the if that is what you hold to if that's what you believe secondly if you and your church do what the apostles did, mercy and the gospel, that's what, the, that's what real churches do. That's what the kingdom of God does. The apostles were out there healing and healing and healing and teaching and teaching and teaching. That's why we have deacons, and that's why we have elders. The elders, uh, the elders teach the gospel and preach the gospel, and the deacons heal and, and point to the mercy of Jesus Christ. And the deacons also preach, too, as we'll find out in, in uh, Acts chapter 7, when Stephen preaches a profound sermon, Stephen the deacon. But the deacons, uh, the, 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 the kingdom of God moves forward in mercy and in truth, in healing and in teaching. We've got to have both of those things going on. And so you're part of the unstoppable movement if you see your church doing both of those things. I see it here. Uh, I'm in awe of our deacons, and I'm so thankful for each one of them. Thirdly, this is where I want to land for just a few minutes. If you embrace your calling as part of the unstoppable church, the angel brought them out of the prison. He busted them out of prison in the middle of the night, and he says, go and stand and speak the words of, of this life. It was not for the sake of their comfort. And so I want to ask you, has God opened the prison doors and busted you out of something? Go, stand, and speak. You've got a story to tell. Has God opened the prison doors and broken you out of an addiction that held you like a stranglehold? Then go, stand and speak. you have a story to tell that will glorify God. Has God opened the prison doors and healed your body? Then go, stand and speak. you have a story to tell to glorify God. Has God opened the prison doors and healed your mind? Then go and stand and speak has has God, opened the prison doors and healed your marriage, then go and stand and speak. Has God saved you and made you a people of His own possession? It is, for this, it is, it is so that you may, uh, you may declare the praises of Him who brought you out of darkness and into His marvelous light you were saved to serve. You are set free so that you may go and stand and speak. You have a story to tell, and it will glorify God. It will bring God fame in this neighborhood. It will bring God fame in this community. Go, stand, and speak. Now, it's going to look different for every one of you. 1 Peter 4 says that there are gifts of the Holy Spirit. Some lead to serving and some more speaking gifts. Um, and so, you know, so, some of you are going to speak like the apostles and see people believe in Jesus and get saved. Some of you will serve like the deacons and see people blessed and pointed to the mercy of Jesus. Some of you are going to do practical things that enable the church to function, and that's a part of the same thing. Whether you preach to thousands or clean up the kitchen or pray with somebody or fix coffee for fellowship or play drums for worship or help with the nursery, you're part of the worldwide unstoppable movement of Jesus Christ. So sometimes it's going to be illegal, as it is in many parts of the world, doing underground church work in China, talking to neighbors about Jesus in Muslim countries, hiding Christian refugees, obey God rather than men. Sometimes it'll involve suffering. You notice the angel didn't keep him from getting whipped. Where was the angel when, when Peter was, was uh, you know, they threw rocks at Peter until he died? Where was the angel then? Where was the angel when James was executed? Where was the angel when Paul was imprisoned for so long? Where was the angel when, when Peter was crucified upside down? It involved suffering. The angel didn't show up in those places. But, if you, but you see that the angel is sent by God for a specific purpose at a specific time, for a specific job. And he didn't keep a lot of things from happening. But if you believe that it's a privilege to suffer for the name of Jesus and you consider the reproach of Christ to be better than all that the world has to offer, then it's worth it because Jesus is worth it. He is always worth it. He is, Jesus is worthy. Jesus is Lord. He suffered before us and God has exalted him and given him a name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's worth it. It's worth it, always worth it. The church of Jesus is unstoppable, and Jesus himself said that even the gates of hell will not prevail against the onslaught and the aggressive ministry and movement of the church of Jesus Christ. This is what you're part of. This is what you are part of. So get in the game. Get in the game and find your joy in serving Jesus. At this time, I just want to give you all an opportunity to pray and ask the Lord, what is my calling? What's my part? What is my part in the unstoppable movement of Jesus Christ? Do we have prayer team members? Could you come up here and and just be ready to pray with folks?